Welcome to Faith Community Church of Indianapolis. We pray that you are blessed by this message from Pastor John Roberts. To learn more about Faith Community Church, please visit us at FCCIndianapolis.com. We read through all of this, and I'm not going to take time tonight to go through it again. I just wanted you to have it for reference, but I do want to really look closely at verse 18. So let's read verse 15 through 18. This is Paul's prayer, and I'm going to read it from Barclay's translation. He said, It's because I have heard of your faith in Jesus Christ and your love to all God's consecrated people that I never cease to give thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. It is the aim of my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give to you the spirit of wisdom, the spirit which brings you new revelation as you come to know him more and more fully. It is the aim of my prayers that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what hope his calling has brought to you and what wealth of glory there is in our inheritance among the saints. I just love the way he phrases that. And I like to Mounts. Mounts does a interlinear. And he, he has it this way, and it doesn't read properly because it's, it uses the Greek order of, of the, the words. But it just brings out a little bit different. He says in verse 18, he says, I pray that with the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may comprehend the hope to which he has called you. And what are the rich benefits of his glorious inheritance among the saints? I just like the way that reads. That he, he, it's the eyes of our heart. And King James, New King James says the eyes of our understanding. But the Greek word there is cardia, where we get cardiac, everything cardiac. So it is the eyes of our heart. And it's really talking about our soul in the sense that Paul, everywhere Paul describes man, in the New Testament, he either describes man as a two-part being or a three-part being. When he describes him as three-part, he says that we're a spirit, a soul, and a body. And in, in other places, he will describe us as a soul and a body, where he combines the spirit and the soul, the inward man and the outward man. And, but it's that inward man, not our spirit, because our spirits, at the new birth, our spirit's brand new. It's perfect in a perfect union with the Holy Spirit. My spirit knows everything, at least theoretically, it knows everything that God knows. But hearing that voice of the Spirit and knowing that in my soul, which is my mind, will, and emotions, that's the problem. And that's where Paul says here in 18, he wants the eyes of our understanding, our eyes of our heart to be enlightened. But that takes some, it takes a little bit of effort on our part for a couple of reasons. One, and I read this to you last week, H.G. Wells wrote this. He says, man who began in a cave behind a windbreak will end in the disease-soaked ruins of a slum. Now, you have to understand H.G. Wells was from the late... 19th century 
into the early part of the 20th century, and he, he saw war firsthand. But that is what happens when that is the attitude that we can get when we have no hope. Uh, it's the absence of hope that kills most people. You, I, you can see it with people. I've seen people fight disease. They, they go to the doctor. They take all the treatments. They get in faith and they stand in faith. But usually when at, at a certain point, they'll come to a moment of crisis and they will either lose hope or they just go, get so tired that they're tired of fighting and they quit. And to be honest with you, I don't criticize anyone when you get to that, if you, especially uh, I watched my mom fight cancer. Um, it's a devastating disease, and if you've had it long term, it, it can devastate your body. And at some point, you, for a lot of people, it's just, I don't want to fight this anymore. I'm tired of the fight, and I quit. And when they do, they're gone really quick. But just the nature of our world, I mean, it, it's, you know, I don't mean to get into politics, cause, but it is funny. Um, you know, Director Comey was fired yesterday, and some of the people that a year ago or six, nine months ago, when he first made his announcement, they were calling for his firing right then, one President Obama to fire him, are now bemoaning the fact that Trump fired him and, you know, you can't trust Trump now because he fired him now. If you listen to, and, and this is my point, it's not Democrat or Republican, because it, it's just a matter of which, which party's in or which, which ox is getting gored. The hypocrisy, there's plenty of hypocrisy on both sides of the political aisle. But if you just listen to the politicians, I, I just, I'd want to go buy a gun, go out in the woods and shoot myself because it's wrong. done. But it's, it's, it's the hopelessness. And it's even, I see it in Christian circles. I looked up, uh, and I'm not going to name him because this will be on tape. But he used to be a very prominent minister. He's not near to his prominence he was one, but he still has a TV show. It's still fairly well known, but and he's just one of many that I've seen. But you listen to his show, or you go on his website, and he's selling disaster food, portable generators, yeah. uh, you know, tents, water purifiers, and it's all this bunker mentality. Things are getting so bad, and you got to be prepared because the world's going to collapse. And Paul's saying, guys. <laughs> I want you to get your eyes enlightened so you can know what is the hope of your calling. As Christians, we shouldn't be, you know, we, we shouldn't be without hope. Just the fact that if we, if we get this realization, the way, the way Barclay said it, that the aim of my prayers, Paul said, is that your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope. The, knowing the scriptures ought to put hope in us. I think it's in uh, Proverbs that the path of the righteous grows brighter and brighter. Now, it is true. The world's going to get darker and darker and darker and darker. I've said it before. The day after the rapture is not going to be that much darker than the day before the rapture, as far as the world's concerned. 
But for us, we ought to be getting, things ought to be getting more light as we get more light in the word. Um, Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So even though the world's getting dark, I don't have to live in darkness because I've got a light. Uh, Romans 8, 20. This is talking about the whole creation at the fall of Adam. It says, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Even when, when God allowed the curse of the fall to come on the whole, well, not just the whole earth, the whole universe. He's, he allowed that curse to come, but it came in the hope. If you go back and read Genesis, along with the curse, he said, now, serpent, I'm just going to let you know, there's one coming that you're going to bruise his heel, but he's going to crush your head through the seed of a woman. Immediately, God sowed hope. He barred Adam and Eve from the garden. He said, you can't come in. I'm setting up two, two uh, angels to keep you out of, the, out of Eden because I don't want you to get access to the tree of, of eternal life because if you eat that tree, you're going to live in sin for the rest of your life. Well, my body's only 65 years old. I can't imagine if I never died, what would it be like 500 years from now? I wouldn't want to, I would try to kill myself. What was that movie we, we watched years ago? Had Goldie Hawn, oh, one of them that just really lambasted Trump here lately. Anyway, they, they, the, these two ladies were rivals, but they both were invited to some mystical witches. Yes, death becomes us. And they drank this elixir that gave them eternal life. They would never die. But the lady gave him a warning after they drank it. She said, now be very careful with those bodies because that's the only one you get. <laughs> well, it was a comedy of errors from that point on. And I remember Bruce Willis was, was in it. He was one of their two wives, and he was a makeup artist. And the whole rest of the show was him, them breaking off arms or, or, you know, falling downstairs and breaking their neck and him having to use auto putty and, and makeup. And at the very last scene, they, this, Bruce Willis finally escaped from them and he died as a very old man. He had remarried and, and had a family and died very content. And they sneak in the back to go to his funeral. And as they're walking out the door, parts of their bodies are just falling off. <laughs> but they can't get away from them. Their bodies, I mean, they're going to live forever in their bodies just in 20 to 30 years. They're literally, they're losing body parts. And that's what God prevented us from. Had, had he not separated mankind from that tree of life, we would have lived forever with bodies that were subject to death. And it would have been horrible. Well, it was mercy, but it also, he subjected the whole universe to this curse of the fall in the hope that there is one coming who's going to reverse all of this. I'm not, this isn't the end. This is just the start. And, and that was, that's what, in fact, that, what I read there was in Romans 8, Romans 15, the end of that letter. Romans 15, 13, Paul said, Now may the God of hope 
fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. We ought to be looking. We don't always get this. Most Christians don't. But I, the, God's best, and my prayer for me is that, and I think it was E.W. Kenyon that I heard this story on. He was very old. Uh, in his late 80s, early 90s, I'm not sure how old he was when it was, but he was quite elderly when he died. And he was living with his daughter, and they would their, their habit was they would go eat breakfast in the morning, and they'd go out while the day was still cool, and they'd sit on the front porch, and she would sit and sew and, and do little things, and he would sit there and read his Bible. And he got up one morning, and he told his daughter, he said, well, I'm going home today. I just wanted to let you know. And she said, I thought, well, Dad, it's getting old. He thinks he's going back to his house today. I guess I'm going to have to deal with this later on today when he decides it's time to move. They ate breakfast. He went and sat down, and he's sitting there reading his Bible, and she's doing her sewing. And directly he closes his Bible and sets it on a little table, looks at his daughter. He said, well, Jesus is here for me. Goodbye. Head went down. He was out. He was dead. Just walked off. Now, that's God's best. And that's, I would love to be able to have that kind of a death. But he had the hope of this is, this is just a temporary abode here. And that's what Paul's telling us. We need to have this despite the fact that the world is falling apart. I mean, you know, now everybody's terrified over, you know, North Korea. Oh, we're going to get in, you know, the president's going to get us in this nuclear exchange with North Korea. Well, I remember being a high school student and the Pueblo got taken by the North Koreans. And I was terrified because I knew this is it. I'm, I'm, and we got the paper every day, and I read, even as a high school student, I read the newspaper every day. And I remember getting in fear, and I, I said high school, this may have been early college years. But I remember really being nervous, and to the point where it was, it was starting to affect my life. And finally one day it just dawned on me, I can't change any of this. I have no control over whether my country and that country go to war what am I worrying about it for? It's, not, it's above my pay grade. And, and it was just amazing how when I gave up the worry about that, how much easier life became. Well, we ought to, as Christians, have that on steroids. Amen? Because what if we do go to war? What if the whole, you know, what if, if you know, there's a huge nuclear war before the rapture? And millions or billions of people are killed. Well, if I die in the war, I'm going to heaven. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't look forward to those disasters, but I'm not worried about them either. And then if you look at this lack of hope, it makes the world system does make a little more sense to me in that I see drug abuse and, and not just dr- drugs. I mean, heroin's so cheap now. Anybody can have heroin. But alcohol abuse, marijuana abuse, because marijuana is readily available. And you compare the marijuana today to what was available 
in our day, back in the 60s, it's a hundred times more powerful today. But when you have no hope, when you're in the world and you realize the world's just falling apart and I have no control and there is a good chance that me, my family, you know, God forbid there could be a, a huge war, but I don't get killed, but I got to live with the, uh, you know, the something like the zombie apocalypse and it's going to get nasty. You know, it's going to be dog eat dog, um, um, the, you know, survival of the fittest. When you live with that constant fear, that explains the numbing yourself with marijuana or alcohol or heroin. It, it numbs that fear and it numbs that, that despair that, and I've said it, if, if, if you could convince me that the Christian life, that there is no heaven, that Jesus is not real, he's just a mythical character, heaven's not real, when, I, when you die, when you die you're, die, you're dead like a dog, I would still live the Christian life because it's a better life. But at the same time, I also know that it's, it's eternity is Eternity is real. So that's just a plus. And I use the, the big ones, the drugs, but yes, TV, shopping, making money. You know, if, if I concentrate enough on one thing, my mind doesn't wander to the bad things in my life. That's why a lot of people, you, you see some of the most successful people financially, they're successful financially because they're working... <coughs> 70, 80, 90 hours a week, but they're doing a lot of that. And if you ask them, well, I'm doing it from my, you know, my wife and my kids, but really when it comes down to it, their home life's not real great and they'd rather be at work because there's less stress at work. Plus you get lots of toys. So when you do get free time, you don't have to deal with issues. You just go jump on your new boat or your whatever and go play. It's, it's anything to numb myself from the, the reality that I, I'm not in control and the world is looking like a dark place. But for us, and Paul even said this, and this is the, I think it was, I um, can't remember which one now, said um, um, the significance is that most of our troubles in the Christian life arise from us being man-centered rather than God-centered. That's, that's why if you go back and God said to Joshua, if you want to, to be successful and take over for Moses, then you can't let this word depart out of your mouth. You have to meditate in it day and night. Then you'll make your way prosperous. It's the, it's the word. That's why I picked Psalm 119. The word is a light and a lamp to my feet. It's what brings understanding. But Paul said later on in Ephesians, this is Ephesians 4, verse 17 through 19. He says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened. See, he's calling for us in, in 118 to have our hearts enlightened. 
Here he's saying the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind because their understanding is darkened. They're being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feelings have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanliness with greediness. The lewdness in direct context does talk about sexual type sins, but really it's anything that distracts you from seeing the reality of who God is. And it's, it's a... It is the opposite of what we should be doing. Because he says there, we should no longer walk this way. That's how we walked when we were in the world. I think this was the one I was thinking of. And I think this was, um, well, can't think of his name now either. It started to come and then disappeared. This process, both for uh, if you're if you're walking in the ways of the world, it's a process like having a cataract. It, it just starts with just a little bit of clouding of the lens, and your 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 vision is just a little bit degraded. But as it goes on, it becomes less and less clear and less and less clear to the point when you know, up until what twenty years ago. There was no treatment for cataracts. You got a cataract, you just went blind. And it was, they were cloudy. Your, it wasn't that your, your eyes worked perfectly well. Your brain interpreted everything, but you couldn't get light through the lens. Now we just replace them. But in the ancient world, it gradually just shut out all of what you could see as a reality in the world. Well. Becoming a Christian is, it's not like the modern surgeries where they just go in and one day you replace it and you, you go in half blind, you come out with 20-20 vision. Although in one sense you can't, that is possible in the Christian life. But it's really more of your, when you first become born again, you, have, you start this process of clearing out that gunk and things just become clear and clear and clear and clear and it's that walk of sanctification where you understand why you are where you are and why things have happened the way they've happened and and it's not that well you know i'll give you my my own testimony i look back at at what i went through with the death of both my kids and i'm all through there there were times because I was raised in church where the Lord would speak to me, not in an audible voice, but I just knew I would think, you know, I, I need to just get her in an Oral Roberts meeting. I need to go. There was one Catholic priest at the time that was had amazing miracles in his church. And I thought, I need to find out where that church is and, and get my get Johnny there. And but it was the deception was so great that you just don't do it and then when i got back in fellowship with god and realized that god's will was to heal it was like why did i not do any of that and there was an opportunity to jump over and feel guilty and feel my god you're you're a horrible human being God dealt with you about that. If you'd have done that, that your, your kids could have lived. But there's also the realization that I was lost. I was blinded. 
Of course I didn't. But now I can. And it's not so much what I didn't do then, what am I going to do from this point on? And there's always, even, even when you get that realization, there's always, the enemy's always there to say, well, you just screwed up. You're never, you know, you're never going to amount to anything because you're a horrible human being. I was blind, now I can see. Yeah. And, and, but the truth is, I was a horrible human being. <laughs> That's why I needed Jesus. And even though I was saved, I was walking as the Gentiles walked. I was, I was, I was probably um, more ignorant than a lot of people I knew that weren't saved. They had, I knew people that weren't saved that had more Bible knowledge than I had. They just had never surrendered to it. This, this is an example of that. In 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18, this is that process. In all of 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul is talking about um, when Moses went to up on the mountain to get the Ten Commandments. When he came down, he had been in the presence of God so deeply that his face was shining to the point where the Jews told him, the, the, the people in the tribe said, you need to put a, um, a, a cover over your face because we can't stand to look on the glory. And so he did. Now we're being transformed. That's what um, 2 Corinthians 3.18 says. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. As we progress in this process of sanctification, we, we increase the amount of God's glory that we can display. Unfortunately... The uh, and I don't remember if it's just past there or just before there. And he used specifically the the case of of the the nation of Israel, the Jews. But it can be any unbeliever who's resisting the Holy Spirit. They don't ask us to put a well in today's world. They are asking us to put a mask over the glory. They don't want us to even talk about this out in the real world. But even if we do, they hide their face. They put a mask, they put blinders on their own eyes so they don't have to see in comparison how unglorified or how depraved they are. It, Jesus was the same way. Jesus, was, Jesus never condemned anyone he met, but everyone he met felt condemned because of his righteousness. Just the comparison of seeing him compared to me I, they felt inadequate just, who he was. just because of who he was and how he acted and his attitude. And that's why that depending on the person's heart, you know, if you use the example before, the same sun that will harden uh, clay into brick will melt wax. Those that felt that condemnation and they had a heart of wax, their heart melted and they surrendered to him. Those that had a heart of clay they they felt that conviction and they hated him for it and it's the same today people they the, when the gospel is presented they either their hearts either melt or they get harder and if they get harder they will hate you for pointing out that they are lost and depraved 
They're not rejecting you, although I'll be honest with you, it feels like you're being rejected. But they do despise you because you represent what they don't want to be faced with. And they'll go off and distract themselves the way we, we talked about it before. But it is a process. Um, Paul said something similar to Philippians in Philippians three thirteen and 14. Brethren, I don't count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things are which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of, of God in Christ Jesus. It's a progression that we can, until we die, we're called to make that progression. We've, you're either, well, I really don't like the term backslidden <laughs> because to be honest with you, I think we all backslide from one moment to the next. But it is a good illustration that if you're not making progress, you, you can't just hold neutral. You will slide back. Now, I also know, though, that making progress is sometimes three steps forward, two steps back. You need to, you need to look at it over a period of time and not, well, Lord, I'm just a horrible human being because I haven't been progressing lately. Well, have you progressed in the last... Are you better today than you were a year ago? Are you better today than you were two years ago? Sometimes you just need to widen out your perspective before you judge yourself too harshly. And then there is a, a, the second phase, and I'll go through this one quickly, in Ephesians 1.18. Uh, Paul says, it's, it's the aim of my prayers that the eyes of your heart be enlightened so you may know what is the hope of his calling or what hope his calling has brought to you and what wealth of glory there is in our inheritance among the saints. King James says, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? He, he, this is where Paul defines what wisdom is. Um, in 1 Corinthians 2, <clears throat> Paul says, it is written, and he re makes a reference back to Isaiah 64, 4. He says, I has not seen nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who loved him. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. That verse from, from in, in Isaiah 64, all of Isaiah 64 speaks of God coming on the earth and manifesting himself to the world. So when, when Paul says, we haven't seen all of these things that God has prepared for us, but God has revealed them to us through His Spirit. God is wanting to reveal to us the wealth of our inheritance. And it's not just a pie in the sky by and by. Marx famously said uh, in... Um, oh, I forget the, the track that he wrote that was the basis of all of... Marxism and communism, um, he was very down on organized religion. He said it's the opiate of the masses. And the reason he thought that was pretty much at that time, the Christian church was, had, had, was only emphasizing 
a pie in the sky by and by. When we all get to heaven, this is what we'll get. But here on earth, things are just going to be terrible. And they didn't really reach out to feed the poor, to help those that were downtrodden. And they didn't call on Christians who had a lot of wealth to use that wealth to help those that were less fortunate. And so Marx looked at Christianity and said, you're just giving these people false hope that, you know, when they die, they're going to get, you know, Elysium or some perfect um, paradise. But living here and now, you're not willing to lift a hand to help anybody. Well, there was some truth to his criticism. Problem was, he didn't accept even the fact that heaven was real which it is, but there is more to it than our inheritance is more than just getting it when we die. Hebrews 12, verse 1 through 3. This is, I believe it's Paul, but it's scripture, whether it was Paul that wrote it or not. He says, therefore we also, and this is following immediately upon chapter 11, which was the, um, is the heroes of faith. All of these great men and women of faith, whether it was Old Testament or New Testament, he said, after listing all of their their accomplishments, he said, therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. He, I, I love it here when he says, lay aside every weight and the sin which ensnares us. Because I've had a lot of people over the years ask me, well, what is that sin? Well, he answers it. It's a lack of endurance. It's a lack of patience. It's, it's, it's doing it for a while and getting tired and quitting. Well, we need to run with endurance the race that is set before us. But verse 2 is part of the key. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our, of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Verse 3 says, For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. There again, it's that lack of endurance. But Jesus was able to face the cross because he looked at the joy of what he was going to get if he fulfilled the promise that God had called him to do. Now, thank God, God hasn't called me to die for the sins of the world. If he had, we'd all be in trouble because I'd never make it. But he did Jesus, but part of the way that Jesus endured that was he knew there was an end point, and at the end point, we were what he was going to get. So we have to, as Paul said before, we, he wants our hearts enlightened, well, that goes back to renewing your mind through the scriptures. What are the scriptures promising me? Second uh, Timothy, we, we went through this a few weeks ago when I was talking about being part of the remnant. Second um, Timothy 2, 3 and 4. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. We are called to fight the good fight of faith. We're in a war. He makes the point in verse 4. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. We've got to live this life, and there's lots of details we have to work out. 
but I can't let them snare me. I can't just, all of my attention goes to the details of life. I've got a higher calling than that. When Jesus went through the parable of the sower, I think probably the number one for most people is that third one where we they they are enthused with the world and they and they are the word and they have a root in themselves but then the cares of this world and the and the cares of life entangle them and snare them and the word becomes unfruitful it's not that they didn't start well but all of the stuff just and i know what it's like i i i get sometimes i get so busy it's like I don't know where to go to next, and you have to prioritize because I've I've met anybody that's not busy, and I look back and I think, was I, I wasn't this busy when I worked a full time job, and I realize I work a full time job here at the church, but when I was spending eight ten hours away from home every day working, I didn't feel any more busy then than I do now, and yet the there's a busyness. You can be busy without being entangled. And I have to be honest with you, it's not easy to do. It's a difficult proposition to deal with the issues of life and not let them ensnare you. But it is possible. Thank you so much for joining us. If this message has blessed you today, we invite you to visit us in person at Faith Community Church or online at FCCIndianapolis.com.